Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 143, and we are thrilled today to have Farah Roshan with us. Farah is the USA Today bestselling author of more than 35 novels, including her latest release, The Boyfriend Project. The two-time Rita Award finalist is a native of South Louisiana. When she is not writing in her favorite coffee shop, Farrah spends most of her time reading, cooking, traveling the world, visiting Walt Disney World, and catching her favorite Broadway shows. Welcome, Farrah. You say Broadway show, and I'm like, to the heart. I, miss <laughs> so I thought that about Disney World, too. It's like all the things that we look forward to when uh, life goes well, back to normal. I have to admit, I, I just came back from Disney on Sunday, so. Uh, wow. Nice. Yeah. But How, was, I'm sure it was so different. Oh, it was good. So. It was it was very safe. I felt much yeah. safer at Disney than I did when I went to my local grocery store the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was different, extremely. But it was nice to get a little piece of normal. Yeah, for sure. so, yeah. I'm definitely craving those little moments when it's like, okay, yeah. this feels like. My old life. Yeah. yeah. We'll get back there. We'll be yeah. getting right. there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to start with our bookish check-in. So each of us will just share what we're reading. Um, Ashley, do you want to start? So I am currently reading Marie Lou's Wild Card. This is the second in her Warcross duology. And I talked on another bookish check-in about, I just read her Rebel that came out. And that was the fine, the fourth in the Legend series, which started a long time ago. And I talked a little bit about how I've never read a series before where I'd read a trilogy. And then a long time later, there's another book. And I just loved it. It was so refreshing to be back in that world with the characters that I knew, but with a whole new set of obstacles and circumstances and things to, and, you know, to find out about. And it was comforting. I found it really comforting to be back in a space where I knew the characters well, and I'd been away from it for quite a while. And so because of that, I am craving more of her books. And I read Warcross a while ago, and it is really interesting. It is about a gaming environment, and there's a lot going on. And so Warcross is the is the virtual space. And there's a lot happening where people have a lot of gambling and stuff like that related to Warcross. And so because of that, Amika, the main character, is um sorry, my dog is <laughs> notifying us of something. <laughs> the main character, Amika, is a bounty hunter within the virtual space. So she is a glitch in the system and becomes really important in what's happening. But you find out all these really fascinating things about Hideo, the creator of the game, and all of that evolves in Warcross. So all of Wildcard is, you know, uh, has been set up by the first book. But I think I'm just interested to be in that space. I think that the dynamics between the main characters are really powerful. And I also, while I'm not a gamer myself, I love exploring the ways that the virtual space impacts the real world. And so I think all that's really fascinating. So again, that's Marie Lou's wild card. 
She's so amazing. I love her. <laughs> All right, Farah, what are you reading? Uh, well, I am actually, I'm so lucky these days uh, because all of my reading has been for blurbs that I'm giving for authors. Oh, so I'm nice. reading all of these books that are not available yet. Wow, um, nice. But I'm currently reading a book called Winner Takes All by Sandra Kitt, who is a long time, she's like two African-American romance writers. She's like one of the queens, you know, she's been mm -hmm. writing forever. And it's actually the first in a new series and they're all around people who have kind of come into money. Mm -hmm. um, the hero is an ex-baseball player who works for ESPN now as a commentator, and he wins the lottery. Ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, he wins $75 million in the lottery. Oh, cool. uh, but what's unique and great about it is that she explores, like, the darker side. Of you know, it's not all good when you win the lottery. And his his heroine, um, Jane, she works. His name is Patrick. The heroine Jane works for the mayor's office, uh, and she's the one who gave him you know the the lottery check. And they went to high school together. It was their first time seeing seeing each other. So that's how they reconnect. And it's just you know he has like the ex-girlfriend who was the one who actually bought the lottery ticket for uh, him so there's that dynamic of uh, path. It, it's so you know drama juicy it's like <laughs> oh i needed this right now so it really it it's been really good but then like i said there's been you know a few of those dark moments where you know he he's kind of like my life was better before this uh, money wow came in. So I'm really enjoying it. It's something that you don't necessarily see in romance. Uh, but if anyone can pull it off, it's a uh, pro like Sandra Kitt. So uh, I think it comes out at the end of this year or, or early next year. Uh, but it's Winter Takes All by Sandra Kitt. You oh, that sounds awesome. and it, yeah, it really is. It's one of those books where you, you're just, ooh, drama. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, I love that. That, that sounds, sounds really great. good. Sarah, what are you reading? So I am reading Jason Reynolds and Brendan Keeley's All American Boys. I'm reading it. We're doing a buddy read for the podcast. So I'm about halfway through. And man, I'm we, we are all on record as what fans we are of Jason Reynolds. And I had not read, read any of Brendan Keeley's work before this, but it is just such a powerful read. And as a former eighth grade English teacher, I can see so many applications and the classroom for young people. So it is YA. It is told in dual perspectives. One is Rashad. He is a, a student at a school. He's an artist and he becomes a victim of police brutality. And Quinn is the other perspective and he is witnesses this police brutality. I should say Rashad is black. Quinn is white. Reynolds writes Rashad's point of view, Keely writes Quinn's point of view, and man, they do such a great job of showing the impact of police brutality. They sh they do a great job of having these really amazing voices for each of the characters. And I mean, like I said, as a teacher reading this book, I just see so many applications in the classroom and great messages for young people and I mean, it is phenomenal so far. I know Ashley and Jen had both read this prior to our buddy read, but I this is my first time through. And 
it's just, it's so powerful. It's horrifying, but there's so much resilience. And I just, I'm really enjoying reading and learning and, and thinking about applications in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that book so much. We had a great uh, buddy read discussion last night about the first half and people's reactions. Some of the people in our buddy read had also read it before and others, it was their first time through and I had read it, but there were a lot of things I'd forgotten, just little details that hit home on that reread. So, yeah, Yeah, I think the nuance is really striking Mm -hmm. to me the second time through just seeing how I think it's that the multiple perspectives and being able to see not just the victim who experienced it, but also the observation and then the observer working through all of that, I think is Mm -hmm. really interesting. And the dynamics between, I mean, the guy who the police officer is awful and he's in the wrong. And yet there are these shades of gray because of the history of the observer with the police officer. And so like all of that is really interesting, unpacking all of that and how Mm -hmm. it impacts his action and lack of action is fascinating. I really had to practice very good self-control to stop reading because I wanted (laughs) not to give anything away in our discussion, but man, I just wanted to plow right through because I I really want to know what happens. So I think, like I said, it would be a powerful read for the classroom for Mm -hmm. sure. I now need to read it because I bought it several years ago for my, uh, my cousins. I have a bunch of, you know, boy cousins and I heard both of them speak. They were at the Louisiana Book Festival. Oh, wow. Authors. Um, and I heard them speak and, you know, I thought, oh, my cousins, th- this sounds like something they should read. Well, now I want to go and get the book from them so I can <laughs> read them. <laughs> things, but just hearing you all, you know, and at this time, it just seems like, yeah, I think I need to go and pick up that copy that I brought them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's excellent. Yeah. And I think it just, it's really inspiring for young people also. And that becomes more apparent as the book progresses, but it really speaks to what is the role of a young person? How can you take action? Mm -hmm. Why is it important to take action? Like, I think it really touches on all of that as well, which is great for, especially for our teens. All right. So I am in the midst of another buddy read. I have a lot of buddy reads going on this month. I will just say this one is Leah Lewis's Dear Emmy Blue. And this is a buddy read with the Chicklet Book Club, which is actually where I first got to talk with Farah. I was part of a huge buddy read chat after we all read The Boyfriend Project. And it was so much fun. So yeah, she picks, Marion picks some good ones. But so Dear Emmy Blue is just, it is such a sweet romance, but it's, it's, Romance is at its heart, but there's a lot of other stuff going on as well. I'm listening to the audiobook, and I think the narrator, whose name I should look up, is just great. But the premise here is that when she's a teenager, the protagonist, Emmy Blue, releases a balloon into the atmosphere with her email address in it, just thinking probably that nobody's ever going to see it, but she's going through a lot and she just wants to make contact with someone. And a boy, Lucas, finds it. And they start this correspondence and become best friends. And Emmy has feelings for Lucas, but does not want to ruin the friendship. And so she is very careful to try to keep things platonic. And they are now, so the book goes back and forth between past and present. In the present, they are adults. And Lucas announces that he is getting married And he wants Emmy to be his best woman, basically. So it's like very much my best friend's wedding vibes, kind of like that. (laughs) But 
And so it is just seeing Emmy work through. She really likes his fiance. She doesn't want to mess things up, but she is fighting these feelings that she has and sort of secretly wishing something could happen. But yeah, it is just really sweet. So one of the things that Lucas did when he was writing with Emmy is he would make mixtapes for her and write these cute little notes. And so at the end of each chapter, you get to hear the the, the notes that he was writing to her. And it's just this beautiful friendship that she hopes would blossom into something more. There is some darkness in her past that is coming out as well. So there are some serious sides to the book, but yeah, I, I don't want to give anything away and I'm, I, I don't want to get through. I'm not to the end yet, so I don't know what's going to happen, but there are a couple, couple little surprises that I won't give away here, but it's, it's great so far. That sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah, I'm really I'm charmed it. already. Now I, there's another one for the TV <laughs> rent list. We do that every episode. I oh think we gosh. all leave with like 10 more books we want to <laughs> read. <laughs> so many good ones. All right. Well, we are going to switch over to another really great book. I will say we all loved The Boyfriend Project so much. I just reread it to prepare for this and I loved it all over again. So oh, thank you. Yeah. So fair. Would you mind? I know you probably have a lot more practice with this than we do. Do you mind just sharing with our readers what it's about? And then we'll move into some questions. You would think that I would have a smoother introduction to my book because I've done so many zoom things and it's always, it's like, Oh, this happens and this happens. I'm horrible. (laughs) (laughs) But the boyfriend project is, I like to say it's what happens when you find out that the guy that you thought was not necessarily Mr. Right, but Mr. Right Enough is dating two other women, (laughs) you know, at the very beginning. This is not a spoiler because it happens at the very beginning, but our uh, heroine Samaya is getting ready for a date with her boyfriend, Craig, and her sister is on Twitter, which is very much like me all the time. Uh, And she is relaying this live tweet of a date from hell. And as Samaya is listening, she's thinking, this sounds familiar. Uh, And discovers that, yeah, this guy is basically on a date with another woman. And it's the same date he took her on. Um, And then they find out that yet another woman is there. So they confront him. They confront him at the restaurant and what's at the core of the boyfriend project really is this friendship, this instant sisterhood that starts between Samaya, Taylor and London. And they decide that they are going to work on themselves because they have spent too much time trying to do what society tells them, you know, uh, Samaya has this checklist of everything that she's done, perfect job the condo, the car, and the only thing she's missing is the man. Um, And then she decides, no, I'm going to work on my app. Uh, That's her project. And each woman has a project, something that they they are going to work on for the next six months. So they're often doing it. And then this cute guy shows up at Samaya's job and just ruins it. (laughs) (laughs) Ruins it in the best way. So that's basically, that's the start of the boyfriend project. Yeah, I just the premise of it. I remember reading the description before I'd read it and I was instantly hooked. It is such a great premise, but 
I think the premise doesn't, I mean, the, the friendship between the women is so, so great. Yeah, it really, it really pushes it into, you know, this is different from everything else I've written, because it definitely has more of a women's fiction lean to it, because the women and their friendship plays such a prominent role. I think it's as important as the romance in the book. But I love it there. You know, it wasn't supposed to be that way. When I originally started, I'm a huge outliner. And when I originally outlined the story, it, it was going to be like my regular romances. But the moment those three women met on the page, the chemistry was so strong that I knew it was different. It's like, whoa, what's happening here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I had to go back to the drawing board because I knew I wanted more scenes with these, you know, that's where the Friday night girls night out was born. I like, you got to see them more in the book. And it, yeah, it just, it's the entire series now is more about their friendship and, you know, you'll see them getting together throughout the series. So yeah, it's fun. It's just a fun book. And who knew we would need fun books like this? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. that's, that's what I thought the whole time experience. I mean, it was just so much fun, but also had so many important things within it. And that is hard to do. It is hard to have a book that makes you laugh out loud and is so joyful and also touches on some really important things. But the friendship was fascinating to me because I felt like that Twitter incident could have gone so differently. Mm-hmm. And I loved that it went there. And so I just felt like I can see how maybe it, it, it wasn't what you expected either, but just that as all of a sudden they had this thing in common, that that really brought about this camaraderie between yeah. them. Yeah, I love it. And they so all much. knew that they all knew they were they were too good for Craig mm-hmm. in a way. So yeah. you know, it's yeah. like. The part we about really the rented good. vehicle, that just oh. cracked me up. In the f- <laughs> I just love that so much. And I really loved how all the women were so different and like in different spots in their mm-hmm. career, and but that they all supported each other so completely. But they would also call each other out when, when they were being a little, you know, yeah. you know, so I just loved it. And I love, like I, for me, that, that, that relationship between the women, I always love books with strong female relationships mm-hmm. and that relate that camaraderie and like almost like family between the, the women yeah. really stole the show for me. I just loved it. And I just yeah. love Taylor. <laughs> she was, she's like my spirit animal. I just love her. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> you were a hot mess too. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's like, it's the way that I wish that I could just kind of like blaze my own way. I think maybe she's my spirit animal and like the way that she is able just to kind of, she just is trying everything. And I always yeah. feel like, you know, as females, we have these responsibilities and, we there is an expectation for females in the yeah. way that we work in the world mm-hmm. and i love the way that she just kind of has that free spirit i guess i she i have is. i'm envious of her free spirit <laughs> <laughs> i'm not a hot mess no. in, some, in, in those ways in other ways though there you go <laughs> <laughs> she's definitely yeah she's the book i'm writing now so oh. it's uh it taylor is yeah. 
She's a fun character. Yeah. Her personality really does come through. I think all of them. They all have mm-hmm. these distinct personalities. And hers is just fun. Yeah. She yeah. never lets anything get her down. So it's been it's been great writing writing that book. Just the entire series. I am loving it so much. So is this do you mind talking a little bit about your journey as a writer and how you've gotten to the place that this is the book you're writing? Yeah. Um, well, I've been at this uh, for 12 or 13 years now. I think, uh, yeah, my first book came out in 2007, but I'd started, you know, well before that, uh, back in, in college, actually. Mm-hmm. And it, I kind of was on that path that people think is the typical path. You know, it took me about five years and five manuscripts before I sold. And I started with the publisher and that publisher, I I like to say that I was kind of baptized by fire into this industry (laughs) because that publisher um, went under in a spectacular fashion. Uh, Oh, wow. But just as that happened, I uh, sold to Harlequin and I was actually with them for 16 books. And I credit Harlequin with giving me my audience Mm -hmm. because a lot of people found me through, you know, there are still a whole bunch of category romance readers and they are faithful. And thankfully they followed me to my indie publishing because I did that for uh, three years or so after I realized that, you know, I can do this on my own now. Um, And I I was very comfortable with it. They, like I said, they have been very loyal fans. Mm -hmm. But when I got the idea for The Boyfriend Project, I knew that it was a bigger book and that it was, that it could grow my audience. And there was just something about the industry at the time, you know, you, you, the, the zeitgeist of the moment <laughs> where, you know, the kiss quotient had just come out and Jasmine Guillory's, uh, the wedding date. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's happening with romance? Uh-huh. You know, these books are coming they're they're romances, but they're putting them out in trade paperback and they're getting all of this. So I just thought if you're going to try to make a return, this would be the time. And this is the book. Mm-hmm. And I am so happy that I took the chance and, you know, contacted my agent and told him, guess what? I'm ready to go back. <laughs> <laughs> he was happy about that. And it it just, from the very beginning, this book just had a different, there was a different feeling mm-hmm. about it. And yeah, uh, I found the perfect publisher. They have been so supportive. I've never had a publisher who has put so much effort to get the word out on a book. They have been amazing, Grand Central Publishing. So uh, yeah, that's that's how I've gotten to the Boyfriend Project. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. how I've gotten to this place. I wonder if I could ask a related question just about process. So that, it sounds like that's kind of how it got to you to this kind of book. But I was really yeah. interested. One of the things that I love about this book is how authentic all of the conflicts are. So I think what works so well for me is that both Samaya and Daniel are such amazing people who want to do the right thing, who want to do for others, who care about their community and who want to support people. And yet those very traits are what bring about this conflict for them that works so well. I just wondered if you could speak a little bit to how you, like your process, particularly with coming up with the conflicts and trying to work out things for them. 
Yeah. Um, you know, one thing about this book, it was my first time in like 10 years writing a bigger book. You know, my Harlequins were so, you know, 55,000 words. I think this one is just over 90. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that I had the space to explore mm-hmm. uh, was great. <laughs> um, it did take a lot, but it, it kind of, when I come up with characters, I'm character-driven author, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm a psych major. You know, uh, <laughs> knowing about people exploring, trying to figure out, you know, how to make, uh, I try to get my characters' personalities mm-hmm. in um, because that, to me, is what drives everything that they do in the story to make mm-hmm. them authentic and true to themselves. I really try to hone in on their personalities. And it just went with their personalities. It's really hard to articulate exactly how that works in my head. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that organically happens. And yeah, it's just one of those parts of my writing process that because I do such heavy work on the front end before Mm -hmm. I ever start writing the book, trying to get their personalities, as I just, as I go through the book, those things just happen because that's the type of person they are. Mm -hmm. Because I built them into Mm -hmm. being that type of person. And I know that's kind of like, nebulous in a way, but it's really hard to explain because it just happens organically so many times. Well, and that makes a lot of sense to me because like I said, I think what it, the, the things that happen just ring really true. And I find that a lot of times I might be enjoying a romance book a lot, but I often feel like the conflict is sometimes I'm just like, just get together. Like it's like, <laughs> the conflicts yeah. don't. whereas with this, it was like, you really feel the tension for both of them, the tension yeah. for Samaya to want to do for herself for a change and try to pursue this thing that is really her passion and her ambition and how important it is to be able to do that. And then for him, of course, his very job is dependent mm-hmm. on his secrecy. And so that yeah. is really powerful because what he's doing is so important and yet he can't tell her. But yeah, it's it's one of those things, a lot of romance readers, and we're not going to give spoilers, but I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Daniel is not 100% what he seems in the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. And yes, there is some deception, but I'm one of those readers that I, I don't necessarily like the deception. Mm-hmm. So when I decided to write this, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I knew that I had to make it the most, you know, the motivation behind him having to keep a secret from her had to be the strongest that and just so people could forgive him. Mm-hmm. And I think you do feel for him. Yeah. He tries to fight it because yeah. he knows it's wrong. Um yeah, I felt I felt bad for Daniel, but <laughs> it was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I really loved about the book, so Daniel and Samaya have a lot of conversations about the, the challenges she faces as a black woman in the tech industry. At one point, she calls herself a diversity unicorn and talks about what that brings to her company. But she definitely faces a lot of challenges. What made you want to write about that topic? Well, I like to say she knows her worth in mm-hmm. both her, what she gives them. You know, she realizes I check all these boxes for you. So you better, you know, appreciate that. Um, you know, it's just a part of life. It's definitely one of those things that when coming up with this character, you know, she's a black woman in tech. There was not 
no way could I write it without at least hinting at these issues. But my publisher was very on board with me actually exploring it in the way that I did in the book. So I'm very happy that my editor was open to that because it's just something, no matter what industry you're in, you know, there are Black women who have faced this, but especially in like the tech industry, the software Mm -hmm. industry, just women as general, in general, women uh, and Black women even more. Mm -hmm. I actually worked in the software industry uh, in Austin about 10 years ago. Oh, wow. And there were no Black women. I did not see a single one in the three years that I was with this company, uh, even though I knew that they were there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just building upon that, that experience. And, you know, even as a, as an author, you know, when Samaya talks about the pressure of performing, I felt that pressure. Mm. A lot of my fellow uh, Black authors have felt that pressure. You know, if our books don't do well, will they buy the next Black author? Or will they say, we tried that and it didn't work, people didn't buy it? Even though with other books, you know, it could be the subject matter or maybe it just wasn't the best book. Right. We don't get that luxury. There's mm-hmm. so much more writing on it. And that happens. It happens all the time. And in so many other industries, you just have this pressure of having to almost be perfect mm-hmm. because you're afraid that if you're not, it's going to affect the people coming behind you. Okay. So it's just something that I... I needed to put in the story and it fit. And like I said, I had the room, I had the room to explore it. Um, I'm going to try to get this little one out of here. (laughs) Now he wants to kiss me. Sorry. (laughs) No kissing. That's my chihuahua for those who are just listening and can't see me trying to wrestle with him. Uh, Yeah. Sorry about that. But yeah, that's it it just had to be done. Mm -hmm. It would not have been authentic if I had not at least explored some of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love the way Samaya navigated all of that, because I think that we get to see her working through it and both trying to she wants to be perfect, but she also sees that it's crazy to feel like she has to be perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. And to see all that conflict working out for her, I just think it's so powerful to see the insides of it because mm-hmm. it yeah. helps us identify with her. And also it shows how it's so hard to go for something like the app that clearly is the right pathway for her. Because if she does that, then is she going to be momentarily less than perfect in this other capacity? And I just, yeah. those dynamics are really hard to navigate for her. Yeah. And I was too, like the, the competition mm-hmm. that with Keely <laughs> and I mean, what she's the worst, but <laughs> everyone, <laughs> everyone has. <laughs> yes. right, but, I mean, like, I mean, like the commentary on the competition between women in the workplace and stealing each other's work. And then Samaya having to choose between standing up for herself or versus being a team player I mean, I think that is, I mean, I think women in general and particularly black women have this, I mean, there's this 
issue of like, does she, does she just concede and continue being the team player or does she stand up for herself? And so the, the scene with Daniel in the, in the boardroom, when they're, when he's like, please explain Keely. And I, I was like, yes, (laughs) But, but can you just talk a little bit about your decision to put that, that kind of competitive and, and Keely in there um, and what that meant for Samaya? Well, because this person probably will not listen to this podcast. I, I had, uh, I had Keely, Kaylee, however you want to say it. Um, the, it, it was the way I spelled it. That was really, um, that was another dig. Uh, (laughs) We all appreciated that. (laughs) Um, but like I said, there's one in every, you know, office, there's one, I've dealt with them when I was in college, when I was in grad school, you know, the person, I was always the one who, you know, if there's a group project, I would tell them, just let me do it. And I don't care because I wanted to make sure I got a good grade and I didn't like my work being in someone else's hands. (laughs) But then I've dealt with those people who, you know, the reply alls, on an email to the boss when, you know, they want to point out something bad, but then when they want to take your work, they reply directly to them. And you've, I've just dealt with it. So this was my way of, you know, as a writer, you kind of get the chance to get back at people. Uh, so she really was. It was just my way of getting back. Perfectly. Love it. And I'm usually very nice. I am a very nice person, but I allowed myself to get back at, you know. And it's been like years, but I just thought, huh. <laughs> well, and that was another one that I thought was so, it's so nuanced because you saw the struggle of Samaya wanting to be above cattiness between women. And I think all of us as women in workforce struggle with that, of this like, yes, we should stand up for each other. We've got to advocate for each other. And yet yeah. some people make it impossible. So, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, okay. <laughs> Exactly. And that's exact. That's exactly what it is. It's, you know, like some of them just don't deserve Mm -hmm. your grace. (laughs) (laughs) So it was my way to, yeah, kind of get back at her. So that was just me being petty. But at least you are. It is great in the book. I have to tell you, because I had such passionate responses. Like every time her name appeared on the page, I like had this instant visceral reaction. And then, yeah, no, no spoilers, but yeah. Oh, maybe, I just, yeah, that may be, it may be pettiness on the part of the reader as well, but very <laughs> satisfying to have that in there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. Right. I just wondered, so a, a side part that I thought was so well interwoven into the story was about giving back and the part with Tamika and her wanting to mentor. And I especially love like how those things evolved in the story. So no spoilers, but I just thought it, you that thread was really rich in the story. And I just wondered if you could speak to that, like your thoughts behind including that and how that complemented the larger story. You know, that's just me being my mother's daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, my mom is the type of person she's a, she taught high school for 35 years. And then 15 years after she retired, she still, 
you know, is going to the school and doing ACT prep and doing, it's just a part of my DNA, I think, because you just, you give back and you help those. So it, that was just natural to me. And it fit, it fit with the kind of person Samaya was mm-hmm. because she was about lifting others up. So uh, the fact that it resonated with you is great because I didn't think that it would be one of those things. Yeah, to me, it was just, of course, she has to do things like this. Um, and I, I liked that it was, and I mean, I think we see it with her character, but I, and we see it with the company, but I liked that it wasn't just lip service to mm-hmm. the yeah. task and on the part of her, but also on the part of the company, that that was something that is yeah. really that we hope for, but maybe don't see very often is just that authentic desire to, yeah, to connect. To do good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, people have asked me about trendsetters and they're like, did you base that on the company? It's like, what company do you know is that perfect? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was my... <laughs> It was my dream. It's like if there ever was a company I could create, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And that was that company. So yeah, let's hope someone tries to create a trendsetters <laughs> one day. But yeah, when it comes to Samayas, it, it really is just an ode to my mother who that has been her thing forever. Mm-hmm. And she's still at 70 years old. She's, you know, from her living room now looking at school board meetings via Zoom and <laughs> <laughs> making sure that the kids are getting what they need and all of that. So yeah, that's, that's, just a- that's wonderful. So Farah, I know that there are two more novels coming out in this trilogy. Do you have any news you can share about those or when we might see them? Well, Taylor's book is next year. Okay. Um, I am still working on it. It's been a crazy <laughs> year. So it's a little late, but I promised my editor that I will have it for her in the next few weeks. Um, but I think it is July of 2021 is when it's supposed to come out. And I just got to see the first real mock-up of the cover, and I absolutely love oh, it. Yeah. I love it. They're doing such a great job. But to give you just a little piece, since you all know Taylor, um, <laughs> you know that she is trying to get her little fitness consulting business off the ground. She wants to be like an Instagram fitness influencer. Um, And she really, she was the only one of the trio who really was hoping that that viral video would actually work in her favor. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course that did not happen for her. (laughs) So she really is struggling. You don't really know. I guess you, you, I hint at it a little bit, but she's kind of struggling financially. And you find out that she really is struggling financially at the beginning of the book of the the dating playbook. That's the the title. So she gets a message from this guy who would like her to be his fitness consultant and finds out that he is an ex-NFL player who is, uh, he was hurt and he is trying to make a comeback. So he's been trying to, you know, uh, get in shape and he realizes he needs someone like her with her boot camp style fitness training. And she thinks, this is it. I've got this 
football guy. He's famous. He's going to get me all these people, except he doesn't want anyone to know that they are working together. <sighs> because just in case it doesn't work out, he doesn't want the ridicule of, you know, people saying, you know, you're washed up. Why were you even trying? So talk about conflict between them. <laughs> Uh, but it actually, the dating playbook refers to this thing that comes up when they have to pretend that they are dating uh, because, and I, I don't want to give too much away, but let's just say that Taylor in her big mouth, she says something that she shouldn't say to a reporter and they didn't have to come up with a reason to not give Daniel's, not not Daniel's, Daniel's was Jamar. <laughs> not give Jamar's secret away. So that's when the fake dating comes. So um, like I said, she's a mess. <laughs> and her mouth always gets her in trouble. Uh, but it's so much fun because she's, you know, she's much younger than me. So I've had to call on my, my niece that's 27 and ask her, will a 27-year-old say this? What's the slang? It's... <laughs> It's been fun, but it, it really is. Um, it's a lot of fun because her personality just fits so well with this, you know, with this book. So I've just, I've been really enjoying it. And you get to see all three women, of course, you know, it opens with them at one of their margarita nights and they're all throughout the book. So yeah. That, that's book two. That I cannot awesome. wait to read it. <laughs> Everybody pre-order. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait till we have, well, I don't need the pre-orders up yet because like I said, I'm still working on it. <laughs> that would just freak me out. <laughs> I'm almost, I'm actually almost done. It's written. I'm just revising okay. it. Uh, I'm just having so much fun. It's when I laugh out loud. Because uh, I usually hate my stuff at this point. It's like, I'm tired of you. But I still find myself laughing out loud at some of the things that Taylor says. So that's a good that's a good sign. <laughs> so, I think that's fun. why I love Taylor so much in The Boyfriend Project. Because when she provides this levity and <laughs> those laugh out loud moments. Those moments, like the the thing with like, the, the, well, I don't know. I'm not going to give it away. Nope. But I just really, she, <laughs> she provides these laugh out loud moments that I so appreciated. Especially reading during this time. It provided joy and I really I, that's yeah. why I think I loved her so much yeah, she's such a vibrant character yeah. I can't wait to see more yeah. of her yeah she's fun <laughs> Farah do you have any ro go-to romance authors that you would recommend oh gosh there's so many now uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny because when I started I read like only three or four romance authors and I read them over and over again and now there's so many that I love uh, I'm a huge Alyssa Cole fan. Mm -hmm. I've always been a fan of Suzanne Brockman's, you know, her seals. Uh, she, it's been like a couple of years since she put one out. I'm hoping that she'll do another, but she's one of the old school romance authors that I absolutely love. Some newer authors, Priscilla Oliveris, she writes such great families, uh, her stories. K.M. Jackson, who writes as, uh, well, she writes as, K.M. Jackson. Her name is Quana Jackson. So she now has two. She writes under that name and her real name, but she has Real Men Knit was oh, her right. first book in her new series. And I'm a crocheter. So <laughs> I just love the thought of guys, you know, doing it. Yeah, there's just, there, there are a lot. Uh, 
a lot of people. I'm trying to think of, uh, oh, Denny, Denny Bryce. Uh, I just read a book. Denny Bryce is a, it's going to be her debut novel, but it's called Wild Women in the Blues. Mm. And it's set in the 1920s Chicago jazz, you know, time. Uh, So it's kind of like this renaissance. And it's, it's actually, you're in the presence with this 105 year old woman who she was a jazz, you know, like dancer and things in the 1920s. So we're going back and forth. It's more historical fiction. There is some romance in there, but it's such a rich book. And if you can look up the cover, they she just revealed the cover and I guess <laughs> when I saw it, it's gorgeous. And the book itself, it's, it's one of those eras that you don't really see mm-hmm. in books, you know, and she did such a great job at it. So, so many great, great stories out now and authors. There's so many of them. So, yeah. It's a great time to be a reader. Yes. 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 All right. Well, we are going to end our episode the way we always do with our Give Me One. And today's was inspired by Farrah. So this is favorite Broadway show. Farrah, do you want to start us off? Or maybe maybe someone else should start. One? <laughs> you can share as many as you want. Sometimes even though we call it Give Me One, sometimes we give yeah. two or three. <laughs> it's okay if we go over one. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I will say, you know, Hamilton is back in the, you know, atmosphere now. I was one of those people who did not believe the hype. Mm. Um, I also saw it back when I could get a ticket for $89. That was my first ticket. I saw it, you know, not too long after it first uh, came on the scene. And it's one of my favorites. I I think it's brilliant. So I can give you five. Yes. I can't give one. <laughs> Hamilton, Wicket, um, Aida. Mm. Gosh, I would say I can't give just five. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen, Spring Awakening, and Once. And I'm missing so many. I just, I love it. I, I, it's, it's my thing. I just got goosebumps. There's so many great shows. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some of my favorites too. Okay. Ashley, how about you? I agree that it is hard to narrow it down to one. I am going to go for rent as my choice. Well, and that's the thing. So I will say that I think why that one rose to the top is actually because when I was in college, my roommates were obsessed with it also. And so it was hearing the soundtrack all the time. So there's some nostalgia attached as well. But when you were listing those fair, I was like, oh, those are some other good ones. So it's interesting how it brings, I mean, musicals are just amazing. They bring Mm -hmm. all the senses. When you think of them, it brings back these very particular memories. So Yeah. Yeah. All right, Sarah, how about you? So I, I've only been to a Broadway show once. So I have a very limited experience, which I wish that I were able to go more because I love musicals and I love to like, I go to all the local high schools to see the musicals, but I haven't, I've only seen one Broadway musical and that is Cabaret, which Mm. I love so much. And I think too, I have all this nostalgia around it because way back when, when I first, when I was interviewing before I got out of college, 
I was a business major and I interviewed in New York City with Bloomberg and, you know, we're, we, my family, we have always lived in the same house and, you know, we live in a really rural town. So the whole family <laughs> went into New York City. My father, who does not like to leave the Tri-County area, drove <laughs> us into Manhattan. Oh and I just, yeah. <laughs> I just have all this re these, these really special memories for me around that trip. And we saw Cabaret. And again, my dad from this rural town was at Cabaret, which is a, you know, pretty, can be racy. And we were all sitting there. My mom and sister and I are just like wide eyed and loving it. And we look over at dad and I mean, he's like shell shocked. So I just have these great <laughs> memories love it. around Cabaret. So that is what I'm going to choose. I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. All right. What well, you, I will surprise. I was going to say, I'll surprise no one. Hey, I talk about Hamilton on the podcast all the time. Farrah, they get tired of me. Like it's in every show note, I think. But so that is definitely my current favorite. But when it was my husband's and my anniversary and he planned this big surprise and we went to New York. And when you said once, that was one of the shows we saw. So we watched that movie and fell in love with the movie. And then when we went to New York and got to see it on stage, I was like, I don't know how I can love it more than the movie. I know. But the stage show. Oh, so then I was like, oh my gosh, now I want to give five too. Cause I just, <laughs> and then thinking back, no. like when I was in high school, we had this great teacher who would take us to the Kennedy Center to see musicals. So like my best friend and I were obsessed with Les Miserables and Phantom of the Opera and would listen to their soundtracks. I mean, my poor family, it was like not the normal thing that your teenage daughter probably listens to blasting over and over, but we did. Yeah. So yeah, I just think, like Ashley said, it's the senses and there's just such a, such a, an emotional reaction. Everything. Yeah. Just with the first Everything. note of a soundtrack yeah. of one that you love and then to see them on stage is just, and it's always different. I'm one of these people I repeat if I find a show that I love, I will see it over and over again. And at this point, it's just to compare the, you know, who played this person the best. <laughs> I love to do that. But you, they give you everything. So just to have someone entertain you and give you so much on a stage for two and a half or three hours. I love it and I miss it so much. And I've already told my family when we can go back, I'm like just two weeks. I'm going to New York for two weeks <laughs> and I'm just going to overdose on shows <laughs> and all my favorite restaurants. I cannot wait <laughs> because I miss it. Gosh, it's probably the thing I miss the most. And I love being able to watch them on the, you know, on TV, but it's just not the mm -hmm. same. It doesn't have that same energy and yeah, I need Broadway to come back and be stronger than ever when it does. Oh, I do. I'm really hopeful. Wow. Well, I thank you so much. This has yes. just been such a great conversation. I appreciate your willingness to be on the podcast and your wonderful book. I hope everybody goes out if you haven't already and get the boyfriend project and look out for the dating playbook. Did I get the title the right? Dating the playbook. dating playbook. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Farah, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Farah. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you all. You all started my day in a great way. And now I feel energized and ready to go work on Taylor's oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks again. Thanks everyone for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. 
You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at UnabridgedPod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged. 